Now, if you're here for the first or second time, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Dave. This is my wife, Kate. We're the pastors of the church here. I want to extend a really warm welcome to you this morning. We're really glad that you are here. We're really glad that you are here. And uh, we're really glad that you've been able to join with us today. And uh, like Dave said, if this is your first or second time here, um, after the service, we've got a visitor lounge. We would love to get to know you. We'd love um, to offer you a coffee or a tea and uh, chat with you. So come on down if you're a visitor after the service. Fantastic. And uh, really believing that God will just uh, speak into our hearts this morning. And uh, there's something that I never, ever, ever get tired or bored of, is coming into the presence of God together with you all and worshiping Him and allowing His words to speak into our life. And uh, I'm so grateful for the, uh, the ministries. I'm so grateful for what He has done in our lives and that He continues to speak into our life. He continues to bring hope to the hopelessness, and he's, he's just a wonderful God. And I pray that this morning, that as the Word is, is preached, that God would speak into your life, that the Lord would lift your spirits up, that the Lord would bring transformation into your life. Amen? Amen? Awesome. Hey, we love to celebrate. So um, if you are here today and you've had a birthday this week, why don't you lift your hand up, and we are going to, we would love to give a shout out to you over here. Happy birthday. Fantastic. Anyone else? One birthday, two birthdays. Any more than two? I know. It's amazing. What about wedding anniversaries? Anyone got married over this last week? No one got married? No one no one got married. No one got married this week. <laughs> hey, we got uh, we got Let's Lunch together today, is that right? We do, and uh, if you've Whoops. never been to a Let's Lunch today, uh, if you've never been to a Let's Lunch, uh, this is our first one for this year, what we do is uh, we, all, uh, we all bring some food, and um, we're going to have lunch together. Cafe won't be open, but we'll have lunch together. Now, if you're here today and you think, didn't know or forgot, don't worry, there's always enough for everyone, and uh, so there's always enough, and uh, we love to share together, so don't worry if you didn't bring anything, it doesn't matter. Come and join with us. I just want to lay down just a couple of um, family rules for a family here. <laughs> and uh, parents. There's some good food out there. If you try to slip out there just before the end of the service and say, I want to hold some food for my kids, the team out there are going to say, no, we can't do that for you today. Because you I want trust the Lord that the Lord can provide. That's right. There will be enough food for everybody, including your children. So the food is going to remain covered. And uh, about 15 minutes after the service, Pastor Hurawai will call for grace, and then we'll all eat together rather than some eating first and, and some getting a little bit later. So it's all about everyone together. If you do have small children here, you know what? The Bible says that we're going to learn to train our children. We're going to learn to train them to wait, and um, that's really challenging sometimes. But they're not going to go hungry. They are not going to starve. We are blessed. We do not live in a third world country. We are a blessed people. Yeah. So you don't need to worry. If you are concerned, what we ask you to do is bring something. Uh, mums, bring something in your handbags just to tide them over. Or come to my handbag. There's always a stash. Or my mum's handbag. Thank or, you. Or, or Pastor Joy's handbag. Oh, no, maybe not. No, grandkids. Come and see my handbag. If, but there's always enough for everyone. So let's. Um, we're all going to eat together. We're not going to go out there and reserve stuff. So we've got some great things coming up. Let's check out what's coming up on Bay Life News. Good morning and welcome to church. This is Bay City News. This month for Operation Hope Pantry, we are asking for powdered and packaged beverages. We had such a great response last month, so thank you to all who gave so generously. Look out for the collection bin in the foyer. Pastor Shane Willard will be back in the bay next month. Pastor Shane brings a fresh understanding of the Word of God from the Hebrew perspective. The perspective will help you to see God's Word in a completely new way and lead you into a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He will be holding open meetings on Saturday the 6th of May at 7pm and Sunday 7th of May at our 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. services. School holidays are just around the corner, and so is our free kids movie morning. So kids, invite all your friends and meet here at Bay City on Wednesday, 26th of April, 10 a.m. You get to vote for your favorite movie and then enjoy the show. 
the cafe will be available for snack purchases and coffee, of course, for the adults. Can't wait to see you there. The countdown is on till kids camp. If you haven't registered your primary age child yet, don't panic, there is still time. Head out to BC Kids after the service and register today. Don't miss our Easter service and creative presentation next Sunday, 10 a.m., My Kids. This is a fantastic opportunity to invite family and friends to church, so make sure you pick up a flyer today. Who will you invite? Bay City CHB are now running weekly services starting from tonight. Doors open at 5.30 p.m., so grab some friends and come along and check it out. Let's Lunch is on today. You are invited to stay on after the service and let's enjoy lunch together as a family. That's all for Bay City News. Enjoy the service. Fantastic. So there's some great things coming up. Uh, on your seats today, you would have got the um, flyer for Easter. And uh, we just want to encourage you, it's not for you. It's for you to give to somebody else. So um, we've got a creative team that are working really hard on uh, just an amazing presentation for next Sunday. And uh, so bring somebody along. Bring a friend along. Bring a neighbor along. Bring a family member along. And believe that seeds of salvation will be sown in their life. And uh, after that, we're going to have a hot cross bun morning tea all together. Oh, yes. And we are going to celebrate our risen king. With hot cross buns. We are. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, don't forget, uh, the last three days of August, we have a, we have a, a very, very big event we're hosting. Uh, we're talking about the Pedigree Green Arena. And so Apostle Maldonado is confirmed to come. And uh, so we've already booked the arena. And uh, we're already working on the project right now. And uh, the word is going out. So do not be anywhere apart from here at the end of August, the Monday, Tuesday, and the Wednesday of August. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. We've got people from all over the country coming. We've got just, it's just going to be an amazing experience, an amazing time together. So, hey, we do have a wonderful minister here this morning. And uh, if you're not familiar, uh, Pastor Mike is our senior, our founding senior pastor. And uh, he's just not long recovered from having a heart operation. And uh, he is, your youth has been restored. <laughs> and, as a great man of God, and uh, even just recently, uh, had people come from all over, from Australia and from around New Zealand, uh, wanting to just receive input from him, and we impart wisdom and uh, spiritual input to uh, to people from all sectors of society. And he's here today, first time ministering since he's had his heart operation. So let's give him a very warm welcome this morning as he comes to minister with us. wonderful to have Christians come into the church, and uh, whatever happens in our life, it's always an opportunity for Christians to come and meet the Lord, and uh, so I haven't been able to preach strongly, uh, because with the kids being uh, aged, so on, we've come to meetings and had to get different buttons all week, and uh, try and sync uh, this meeting with the time that I've determined to be in the presence of the Lord. And uh, so I want to share with you something that's going to be a blessing for you. It certainly has been a blessing for me. Uh, last time I spoke, I spoke, last two times I spoke here, was on the kingdom of God. I spoke on the kingdom, the priority of the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is, and the priority of it in, in, in our lives. Second time I spoke, I spoke on righteousness, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what that means for us in terms of our walk with God, and how it outworks in how we relate to people. Now, today I want to talk about and share with you on greatness in the kingdom. How can we become great? How can we become great? We live in a fairly self-centered generation. We're all, we're people are sort of looking, uh, it's all about me and about uh, where I'm going and about what I can get out of things and about my future, my ministry, my destiny. And uh, just very, very contrary to the biblical perspective on things. I want to help shift that a little bit today and help you see what Jesus said when he explained how we can develop greatness. 
I don't think anyone wants to get to the end of their life and look back on your life and say, well, what was that all about? I didn't really come together that much. But I think as you get older, probably the more you want to do is be sure that you do something that's worthwhile. And so I wanted to share with you out of the Word of God, and I'm going to just put it under three headings. I'm going to get to a, uh, to a story of Jesus. I want to look, first of all, at Jesus' message on greatness. Secondly, I want to talk about Jesus' motive for greatness. And thirdly, I want to talk about what Jesus modeled for greatness. His message, what he spoke, his motive, what motivated and drove him, and then finally, how he modeled it and how that applies to us today. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. If I'm conserving energy because I don't have the same stamina I used to have, but that'll all come back. And uh, so <laughs> let's read in Matthew chapter 20 and from verse 24. When the ten heard that, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. We could just stop and take a lot out of that. But whoever desires to become great, uh, whoever has determined that their life will count for something, is what it means. It means a determination that your life would be great. No one wants to live a, 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 a life that's insignificant. We want to contribute something with our life, but we don't know quite how to do that. Whoever desires to be great, uh, he says, he doesn't rebuke that. He doesn't say it's wrong to want to be great. He said, if you want to be great, if you have set your heart on greatness, he said, then this is how you do it. Let him become your servant, meaning a deacon or someone who waits on tables like in a restaurant. He says, whoever desires to be first or the greatest, if you want to be the greatest or the first among everyone else, let him be your bondservant or slave. Just as, and he now compares, he, first of all, he said what it means. He starts off by saying what happens in the world. Now, you've got to, when you're reading the Bible, you've got to look at who he was speaking to and what triggered this off. What triggered this off is there's two disciples, James and John, and mum has come to Jesus and said, we want, I want my boys to be sitting on your left and on your right. Man, that'll be great for them and it'll be great for me because I'll be able to say, there's my boys, one on the left and one on the right. Whose boys are they? They're mine. See, so it's really all about her. It's an ambition for greatness. And she wants her sons to be prominent. So her mindset and her thinking, and the boys are bought into it. They agreed with it. So the thinking was, if I can become prominent, I'll be great. And uh, that's what got everyone else upset. All the other disciples, when they heard about it, got upset. Why did they get upset? Because they wanted to be great. And someone might be getting the edge on them. So they were very displeased. They were very angry, actually. And so almost like a row broke out over who's going to be the greatest. And they were constantly arguing that kind of thing. And so Jesus, uh, first of all, he says, this is what you're used to. This is what is uh, what you're used to. Now, they're used to, of course, the leaders in Jerusalem, and the leaders in Jerusalem didn't care about people at all. There was no care for people. Religious leaders didn't care about people. Uh, they didn't have any heart towards the people. They were never known for serving the people, but what they were known was they fought one another, and they competed with one another for privilege and honor and position. So the prevailing mentality is compete to get noticed, compete to get out number one. And so when you look in the Bible and have a look at uh, the interactions of the Pharisees with Jesus, they were not just asking questions, they were trying to one-up him. They were trying to get one over him so he would lose face and they would gain face or gain honor. That's what they were all up to. And every time he, he shot them down in flames virtually. And uh, if you don't understand what was going on, when people went privately, they wanted to know things. When they went publicly, the most public uh, questions that were asked of Jesus were designed to trap him and, uh, and put him down. And he was extraordinarily clever in how he answered. Brilliant. And I've got a new appreciation. So here's his first statement is, his first statement is, this is not how it's going to be among you. If you want to be a kingdom person, if you want to be a representative of Jesus Christ, you can't copy the lifestyle of the world. 
He says, in the world, they boss one another around, they lord it over one another, and it's all about privileges and titles and who's highest up the social ladder. Now, when you uh, grew up in the world and you come into the church, the tendency is to bring the same thinking into the church. And then the church becomes corrupted by an ungodly value system. You value it for ten. Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. You want to be great? Wonderful. That's a great thing for you to decide to do. However, there is a way to pursue greatness, and it's not the way you think. The way of pursuing greatness is to develop the lifestyle and mentality of serving, or as David uh, put it uh, in, in a way which I like, adding value to people wherever you go. How about that? And uh, he says then, uh, you want to be uh, uh, great? Then serve people. You want to be number one? Then find as many people as you can serve and serve them all. So what he's saying is that there's nothing wrong with wanting or desiring greatness and significance in your life, but the route to it is servanthood. And, uh, and then notice what he says, and then he uses himself as the model. And he says there, just as, or even as, the Son of Man did not come to be served. Let's stop there. Jesus at no point expected people to serve him. One of the things that causes us frustration, disappointment, anger, and resentment in life is we expect life to serve us. We expect circumstances to serve us. We expect the environment, everything around us, to be favorable to us. And we get angry and upset and resentful when life does not go like we expected because we have an entitlement that life and people will look out for us. And the culture reflects that. The, the millennial generation has been so pampered in many, many different ways that basically it becomes a me-centered generation, which is all about me and what I can get. So I'll be at this church if I can get what I need to get me ahead. You understand? That mindset is contrary to the kingdom mindset. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. In other words, if people let him down, that didn't matter. It didn't change him. If people failed to meet expectations, it didn't change him. If people didn't come through, it didn't change him. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I have come with a mission to add value to people. I've come with a mission to serve even to the point of giving my whole life to this. That is greatness in the kingdom. That was what his message was. Now, in Isaiah 42, it tells us, uh, it speaks prophetically of Jesus, and it, it, it says, this is my servant in whom I delight. So God is speaking of his son, Jesus Christ, and he's saying, he is my servant, and I delight in him. And he shall not raise his voice, he shall not cry out, he shall not promote himself, and he shall not be discouraged, he shall not quit and give up when things get difficult, until he have finished his course and established justice in the earth for the Gentiles. My servant. So, when Jesus came into the earth, he came into the earth as a servant. You see, this is why people missed him. They were expecting him to come as a king. Next time he comes, it'll be as a king to rule. But when he came, he came as a servant to demonstrate the culture of heaven. To demonstrate the heart of the Father. Now, when we think about God as a Father, we, have many, we project onto him many concepts. But one of the things that becomes a revelation is the more you look into Jesus' life and ministry, the more you will see the Father's true nature revealed. He is not a great patriarch. He is a very tender, loving, compassionate father. Let's have a look at it. Let's go through here. Let's have a look. Uh, I want you to look with me in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. And Paul is writing, and uh, he's echoing this whole thought of serving. So I want to look now at the motive for serving. And the, the motive Jesus had for serving, well, actually, you'll find, we'll look at that first. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, John chapter 6, John 6, and uh, let's have a look, see if I can find it. Uh, and he says, no, no, I've got the wrong version, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I'll just read out because I wrote it down. I have not come from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus said, I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going. 
I know who I am. And he said, I haven't come just to live my life to please myself. I've come to fulfill the will of my Father. That's what I'm here for. I'm not here on my own mission to promote myself. I'm here to accomplish something my Father had planned before the earth began. So he said that I have come here not to do my own will, but to please my Father. So everything Jesus did was motivated by one thing. It was not about pleasing people. He never served to please people. He never served to keep people happy. In fact, the more I've looked into Scripture, the more I realize he was incredibly provocative. He challenged in ways that we've never thought of. And the more you start to see the significance of what he said and how he said it, you realize he many times he gave people a strong verbal face slap. But we don't understand the culture, so we don't understand the significance sometimes of what he did. Wagon loves saying, Willard, he's just amazing in Chinese. So, so in, Paul echoes it in Galatians 1 verse 10. He says, do I seek to please men? Do I seek to impress people or please people or keep people happy? He said, no, because if I pleased men, I would not be the bondservant of God. Now, that's a challenge in itself. He's saying, if you live your life to try and please people, keep people happy, to do things, to get something from people, you cannot be the servant of God because your motivation is completely wrong. And the result of seeking to please people is we become manipulative. We do things and we want something in return or it leads to codependency where I'm doing things because I need your approval. And many people are trapped in that, in that trap. We're not responsible for people's happiness. We're not responsible for people's life experiences. We're responsible to be the servant of God. You're called to be the servant of God. You're called to represent your Father in heaven and discover what he wants and then work that out in your life as part of a body of people. So it was uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Jerusalem, of course, that the leadership were not interested in pleasing people or uh, pleasing God. All they're interested in is gaining impressing people. So the whole leadership culture was about impressing people. That's why Jesus, when he's teaching about the Lord's Prayer, he starts off by saying, listen, when you do your giving, Matthew 6, verse 2, don't, don't go down the streets or in the synagogues and blow a trumpet. Because what they would do is they'd blow a trumpet, make a loud noise, I'm doing some big giving today. And it says, they do what they do to be seen by men. In other words, he said, the whole motivation of the leadership you have been used to is to do things to impress people. Musical gifts to impress people. Speaking gifts to impress people. All kinds of things are done to impress people or to get something from people. And he said, that is not the motivation of the kingdom. Motivation of the kingdom, he said, if you, if you operate that way, you can't be the servant of God. You're serving yourself because you've got an agenda. So he said, kingdom serving has no agenda apart from pleasing God. Kingdom agenda is a uh, kingdom uh, lifestyle or kingdom serving is free of agendas. There's no agenda except serve God, please God. And when you have that in your heart, you'll find life goes much differently. The majority of people today, you find when you interact with them, when they serve, it's because they have expectation of something. And if you don't, often it's not even spoken. You think of a lot of marriages where uh, a wife has got expectations of a husband. She never voices them. And then there's a row because it was never spoken. He never knew it, never did it. And the other way around. See, so kingdom serving is a gift to people. Kingdom serving is a gift of love to people. It's something you give to people, not something you trade with. If you are trading, trading is different to giving. If I give a gift, the gift is just, is not, no strings attached. It's just a gift because I love you. I want to show value to you. I give you a gift. That's it. And I'll show you the meaning of doing that a little bit later. There is a reason, uh, that uh, a kingdom reason behind that. But, uh, th but, but if I trade, then I do something, but I want something back. I'll give you this, but I want something back from you. And I'll come calling on you. See? But he's saying kingdom giving isn't like that. Kingdom serving is not like that. There's no hidden agendas. So kingdom service is motivated by love and by the grace of God. And that's what we're called to. 
You're not called to copy the world. We're not called to be in it for what we can get. We're called to learn to live, to represent our Father and lean on Him to supply our needs. You see, that's a radical mindset difference. It's a huge change. And uh, you'll find when you start to adopt that, it'll change you completely. So, so service to God is motivated by the love of God. Now, serving people is the natural expression of being part of the kingdom of God. We come to serve people. But the service to people flows out of connection with God. You can't substitute serving people for a relationship with God. So many people think, well, I'll be doing all this and this and this and this and this. I don't need to have my prayer time. I don't need to have time with God. No, 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 no. It's not either or. It's both and. The service for God is the overflow. Service to people is the overflow of what's in your heart from God. That's why Jesus shared a parable in Matthew 17. Uh, sorry, Luke 17. It's kind of a weird parable. He said, which of you, he said, increase our, they were saying, increase our faith. In other words, we want to grow in faith. And so he told him a couple of things. Then he says a parable. He said, now, which of you, which of you? So he's applying to them. Have a servant going out to the field, and he's laboring in the field, tilling the field, or he's caring for the sheep. He's doing this all day, and he comes in. Which of you tell the servant to sit down? Wait a minute, I'm going to make you the meat. He says, you don't do that, do you? He says, but rather what happens is when the servant serves all day, he comes in, and then he makes the meal for the master. And after doing that, he's not got anything he owes that the master owes him. It's like, that's what's expected of the servant. It's expected that a servant would not only serve in the field, but they would come and they would wait upon the master. That was what was expected. But Jesus said, you don't get brownie points for doing that. That's what's part of the role. It's what it looks like. So for us as a believer, he said, now here's the deal. We have this tendency to want to be thanked, to want to be appreciated, to want to get something for what we do. What he's saying is, they, he's, he's saying, the disciples, he said, increase our faith. He said, this is how you increase your faith. You learn to serve people and serve God without trying to get something. And what happens is you grow in faith. You grow in trust that God, who is the master, will more than abundantly supply all we need. So serving, serving is always done. So we cannot substitute serving people for our relationship with God. In fact, our relationship with God needs to be number one. We serve him through worship, through waiting on him, through time in his presence, time in his word. Every believer needs to become charged with the presence and power of God by time in his presence. You can't neglect that or you won't have the power to keep serving people. It'll shift from, I love to do this, to, I want something out of it. You go back to living in the flesh again. So we need to be spirit-empowered, just like Jesus was. He rose early, he prayed, and he was known to pray. In fact, that's how they knew where to find him, because he had a habit of going to a certain place to pray. So if you want to be powerful in your service to people, firstly, become powerful with God. That's the, so, so our motivation in serving not to get something. If that's what you're after, then you're trading and you'll be very disappointed at the results because people are quite mean and often unthankful. And that's why a lot of Christians get disappointed and get discouraged and give up because I thought someone would pat me on the back and say thank you and they didn't and they get upset. Really? Was that what you were in it for? See, we have to get our motives right. Now, it's great if encouragement comes. In fact, Good leadership will always provide encouragement and support and strengthen people. But if you're in it to get that, you won't get enough, I can tell you now. In fact, you get the opposite. Just when you think you've done a good job, you'll be told off for making a mistake. That's how it happens. That's what goes on. You've got to be doing it unto God. Then you can smile and say, yeah, okay, thanks for the feedback, you know. Okay, so let's go and have a look at then his example of serving, how he models serving, John chapter 13. Get into John 13, where I want to go. Just been, it's such a blessing to me. And the supper uh, being nearly ended, 
The devil has it put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing the Father, had put all things into his hand, and he had come from God and was going to God. So he's very secure in his identity. Here's what I want you to see. He rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. Let's just stop just there. So the first thing is to realize that for us in the Western culture, we don't go around washing feet. We don't go in and out. First thing you come into someone's house, well, I need to wash my feet before I can come in. We may take our shoes off. That's polite to do that. But we don't do the foot washing thing. It's not found in our culture, but it is in the Middle East, even to this day, because they, they often walk with sandals. They walked on dirty paths. There were animal droppings and dirt. They want nice roads to walk on. And so just walking on the path, even if you did nothing else, your sandals and your feet become really mucky and uh, so they become very very dirty so it, it was cus- it is customary even to this day in the Middle East uh, it is customary for a host to offer three things the first when someone came to visit the first thing they offer them is a kiss of welcome now we don't kiss people we shake the hand so when someone comes to meet you you shake their hand hey mate you know, that's what we do over here. But over there, they didn't do that. They'd hug them and give them a kiss on either cheek. They still do that to today. It's a bit uncomfortable if you're a man, another man's kissing your cheek. But however, that's because our culture, we don't go in for that. <coughs> we don't, Kiwis don't do that. That would be manly. It's not our thing, is it, really? So, that, see, it's a cultural thing. So, one of the things they provided was a kiss. Second thing they provided was a basin of water for the people to clean their feet. Third thing they provided was oil that they could anoint themselves, which is like aftershave or perfume. So you've been out in a grubby day in the heat of the sun and you're sweaty and smelly. You, uh, you know, you need something to get rid of the BO. That's re- it's quite practical, all of this stuff. So that is their culture. And so if a host did not provide that, he was considered exceedingly rude and exceedingly dishonorable. It was expected that would be provided by the host. Now, let's go on a little bit further with it. So, so the next thing I want to move on is the thing, that was the culture of what was expected. Now, the second thing I want to look at is just the issue of the whole issue of feet. Now, for us, you know, our thinking, we don't think about feet so much. People get smelly, especially if you have the socks on a bit too long, uh, and, and they may get dirty. But in the, in, the, in the Middle East, it's really quite different. For them, they don't even talk about the feet because feet and shoes are unclean. Now, an interesting thing, when you start to look through the verses in the Bible, you find some interesting things about shoes and sandals and feet that we wouldn't know here. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, you know this one. Moses is in the presence of God, and, and God speaks to his culture, take off your shoes, because it's cold down. Your shoes are unclean. Your feet are unclean. You don't touch the feet. So get the shoes off, uh, because this is a holy place. In Psalm 60, verse 8, he says, the Lord says, Moab is my washpot, and and over Edom, which speaks of the flesh or the natural man, I will cast my shoes. So so what God is saying is, I so despise Edom, I'll take my shoe off and throw it at them. So for the Middle East to take the shoe off and throw it at someone was a sign of despising or contempt. So you remember recently President Bush was over in the Middle East, and what happened there, In the in, he's having an interview and all the people are there, and suddenly someone starts yelling, takes his shoe off, and hurls it at him. Now for us, we're thinking, well, why don't you have a bomb or something like that? You know, it's something to do something. But this is, see, because we don't understand the culture. In their culture, to throw the shoe was a sign of total contempt and despising and rejection. So when Saddam Hussein when he was overthrown and his statue was taken down. If you watch the movies then, you find everyone came out and they took their shoes off and began to use their shoes to beat the statue to show their total contempt. So can you see the significance? So see this, we, we wouldn't know this without knowing the culture. In Psalm 110, uh, he, God says, all, it says, all God's enemies shall be made his footstool. In other words, he'll show his contempt by putting his feet on them. In Joshua, when they got the kings out of the cave, he said, now, put your feet on their neck. Let them see the dirt and, the, and all the stuff, the uncleanness of your feet. Just put it on their neck. It's total despising and trying to throw the dominion over them. 
So we don't get that because we don't have that sort of thinking in our culture. And uh, so foot washing, let's get on to foot washing now, the significance of the foot washing. Once you see this, you start to realize, oh my, wow, this is amazing. So now the disciples, uh, when the disciples lived with a rabbi, so they would live with him, they would walk with him, and they would observe and listen to his teaching and watch how he lived his life. So they, they followed him. And of course, while they're with him, they're his servants. They're his servants. That's why Jesus, just before he finished his ministry, said, I no longer call you my servants. They had been his servants. So they did whatever he wanted. Uh, Elisha poured water over and he washed Elijah's hands. They did the menial tasks, whatever was required. Push the boat out, go get the donkey, go get the meal ready, go make the bookings. They did all of the menial stuff. That's what the servants of a rabbi did. However, one thing they never did. Don't touch the feet. You never touch the feet. The feet are dirty. The feet are disgusting. If you want to clean your feet, you've got to do that yourself. No one would clean your feet for you. And uh, so uh, it was too humiliating to touch feet. Even the Jewish servant wouldn't touch the feet. It was never even expected of them to touch feet. Possibly a Gentile slave would because they were lower than the low. So the pattern was if someone came, what you did, was you gave them a basin and they washed their own feet. Okay? Do it yourself. I'm not touching your feet. They stink. That's the kind of deal. Well, you can imagine walking through. You've been out on the farm walking around the paddock bare feet. You can imagine what it'll be like coming back. Stuff and dung you've got on you. I'm not touching those feet. Okay? You understand? So like in Genesis 18.4, Abraham, when the angels came, he said, let me bring a basin and you can wash your feet. Uh, in Genesis 19.2, Lot did the same thing. When the angels came, he said, let me bring you a basin, and you can wash your feet. Uh, who's going to wash your feet? They're going to wash their own feet. No one's going to wash your feet for you. Get the idea? Okay, then. So uh, so normally the thing would be they provide water, they wash their feet, they provide oil, and they would anoint themselves. Now, I, I won't go into this because it will distract me from where I really want to go, but <coughs> there's a story in Luke 7. Remember the woman that came in? And she stood at Jesus' feet weeping, and then she washed his feet. Now, I can't go into it too far right now, but firstly, why was she weeping? Here's why she's weeping. Jesus had been treated with contempt by the Pharisees. No kiss, no water, no anointing oil. In other words, they so dishonored him, They expected him to take a walk, and they've got one up on him. Instead, he takes a seat at the the top of the table, and then this woman comes in. Now, she's already forgiven. She's already had her encounter with Jesus, and she loves him. And when she comes in, she's been there all along. She watched and saw how they dishonored Jesus, and it broke her heart, so she began to weep. She was weeping before she got near Jesus. And she broke down and she wept and wept that the person she loved, the person who had done so much for her, that they would treat him with such contempt. So suddenly she realizes, no water, I know what I can do. My healing. Now, when it said she wept, she was sobbing. She was not some little thing. Her heart was broken by the disrespect and dishonor for Jesus. It was deliberate, it was intentional, and it was to put him down. So she goes there, and she weeps. And what has she got? She's got no rags. So what she does, undoes her hair. Her hair is the glory of a woman. She's always kept done up. And then so she put it down, which, of course, just would have offended them completely. So hence they question, well, what kind of man is Jesus? Is he really a prophet? Is he the prophet? No, she's a sinner. And so she wept and wept and wept and wiped his feet, dirty feet, which hadn't been washed did it with her fingers, a sign of deep, intimate worship and love for him. And she doesn't care what anyone thinks. She's going to honor Jesus and do for him what the Pharisees did not. Isn't that amazing? So, of course, then Jesus, uh, of course, they're now questioning him, questioning the woman and whatever. And then he says, Simon, I want to ask you something. Puts the pressure on him. He said, when I came in, 
he didn't get crazy with his wash hands. There's no foot washing and there's no anointing. But this woman, the priest I come from, would not stop kissing and washing my feet and anointing me. Because of love for me. Deep love that caused her to overcome all shame about taking the lowest place and washing my feet. So Jesus stood on her side because she had made a costly see this in a moment, that in the Hebrew culture, if you make an offering to someone, an expensive offering or a costly offering to someone, and they receive it, then there is a bonding of your lives together in a relationship. If they reject it, then your lives, first of all, have rejected the depth of relationship. Now, there's no bonding, rather there's a distance in relationship. So Jesus refuses to reject her. He accepts what she's done, and there's a deep bonding between them. Okay, now come to look at this, what Jesus does. Now you start to see the significance of what Jesus did. So it says, he, ne- he says, he laid aside his garment, took a towel, girded himself. He poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel. Now bear in mind, Jesus is the express image of the Father. This is what God is like. Secondly, he said, I only do the things I see my father doing. I am representing him doing, if he was here in person, he would do this. Now, this is really hard for us to get. That's why I spent a bit of time talking about the significance of the foot washing. Because what Jesus did shocked the disciples. No rabbi would ever do that. No host would ever do that. No servant would ever do that. So Jesus does something that is unthinkable. He divests himself of some of his garments, and he kneels at their feet, because they're reclining at the table. If you're reclining at the table, you've got your feet like that. Well, they're up there, and someone's looking at you, see? So it's really quite dirty. And uh, so he starts to wash their feet and then dry them. 24 feet. Now, they are shocked by this. They cannot, in their culture, grasp how he being who he is could stoop and do something that's unthinkable and not even the lowest servant would do. But Jesus is demonstrating to them what the kingdom of God is like. When it says Jesus girded or took some clothing off and then knelt down and he washed them, first of all, it's a prophetic picture that God himself stepped out of heaven, Jesus divested himself of all glory, and he came down to be at our feet to meet the deepest parts of corruption, defilement of our lives. He is not ashamed of your pain and your brokenness and your fears, your uncleanness, your defilement. He is not ashamed. He came as the servant of God to wash the feet of people. Now, this is overwhelming. This is uh, uh, what you would call an unexpected and almost unimaginable demonstration of love, costly love. It cost him to do that. Now he's there, and he's down there doing this, and of course, it gets to the point where he gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, no, you can't do that to me. It's not easy for us sometimes to receive service from people. Some people would rather be doing than receiving. And so he says, no, 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 no. You can't do that to me. And Jesus said, if you won't let me do this to you, if you won't let me make this this unexpected, overwhelming demonstration of love to you, if you won't receive my love, if you turn away from my love for you, you can't be connected and bonded to me. Because you have rejected the offering of my costly love. He says, oh. Now, so now you can understand, he understood what he was talking about. Because that's their culture. Even now, if you have a present for someone, they turn it down, you feel pretty miffed. You're not going to be close to that person after that, will you? Right? That's true. So, so, so then he says, okay, wash everything. He said, no, no, you don't need to wash everything. You've already made that commitment and you're clean. But your feet need to be washed. 
your feet is a part associated with our walk where we live life, where we experience many things. We see things, we're exposed to things, people say things, people do things, and we get defiled by the world around. It's impossible to walk one day in our culture without being defiled. Impossible. It's impossible to walk a dirty road without getting dirty feet. And we are living in a dirty place in that sense spiritually. So it's impossible to live in the world without it affecting us. So Jesus saying, if you won't give me access to demonstrate my love to you and clean that dirty place, you will never be bonded closely to me. You've got to let me have that kind of access to you. And so then after he'd done that, you read on a bit further, and he says, now you call me your Lord and teacher. Notice what he says, Lord, teacher. Teacher tells them how to do stuff. Lord is the ultimate ruler and master. So that's what he's identifying. I'm your Lord and ultimate ruler, but I'm also your teacher. And he said, now he says, and he said, if I, being your Lord and teacher, have done this, you ought to do this for one another. So he says, if I occupy such a stature, and yet I can come down below the lowest of low and humbly serve you like this, you are not better than me. A disciple is not above his master. If the master did that, then you will do it too. He uses the word ought. You are indebted to do that for one another. And then he says, I have set, in case they didn't get the message, he says, I have set you an example of what the kingdom is like. Now, actually what he's done is he's given them a taste of what he'll do tomorrow. Because tomorrow, his clothes will be taken off. He'll give up his kingdom. Tomorrow, he'll pay the greatest price. He's just prefiguring how... To them, it was unimaginable a rabbi or a host or even a servant would come and wash their feet. Unimaginable. It was also unimaginable that God would give his life up to save a man. Absolutely unimaginable. And Jesus saying, if you don't receive my costly offer of love, then you can't be part of my kingdom. So, it's an example. Now, he says, you ought to do this. Now, I checked the Bible to find out if there's any foot washing in there. Because I know people get onto that and they do these kind of things. And frankly, it's a bit embarrassing to go to church. But it's got nothing to do with our culture. It, it's really got nothing to do with our culture. So if it's such a big deal to do foot washing, and he said that you ought to do it to one another, why is it not found in the Bible? If you look in the Bible, there's only in the New Testament, there's only three places of foot washing. One, the woman washes Jesus' feet. Two, he washes their feet. And the only other reference to it is the widows in 1 Timothy 5. If you want to be a widow who's on the list of getting support, you have to wash the disciples, uh, wash the saints' feet. But clearly, the foot washing, it, it, God is not expecting us to wash feet. It's a, a picture or a metaphor that we are called to costly, unexpected service of Jesus. We're called to serve one another. So while the Bible doesn't say much about foot washing in the New Testament, it says a heap about one another. Love one another. Be kind to one another. Be tender to one another. Tender-hearted to one another. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. The one another's are everywhere. In other words, he's saying the Christian faith is not just lived out on your own. It's lived in with community with others where there's receiving of service and giving of service. So I'll just finish with one scripture, and then I'll show you how you can apply it to your life. Just give me a few more minutes, and we're there. So, in, so for example, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul applies these things that he's teaching in Philippians 3. It's not there in Philippians chapter 2. If you know it, now you can get the sense of it. He says, let nothing, verse 3, be done by selfish ambition or pride, but with humility of mind, esteem others better than yourself. Well, we don't get a lot of that around these days, do we? We don't get going for it. Look at me. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests. In other words, you should look out for yourself, but also the interests of others. So he's giving us, and he said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. 
So yes, Jesus cared for himself and made sure that he fulfilled his course, but he cared for people. So two aspects to how this applies to our life. I want to just ask you two questions to think about it. One is spiritual cleansing. In other words, our engagement with God. And the second aspect is just very practical in the practical service of people. And I want to just ask you a few questions for you to think about. So just run it through your mind, just just, just bearing in mind that Jesus not only washed feet, but he said you need to do it for one another. Here's a few questions. What part of your life are you working on? And that part of your life, where do you need to allow Jesus to make sure it's clean? Where do you need to invite him to come and wash your feet? Not literally wash your feet, but cleanse you the rock make you feel your head rounded and head defined and so on. The various things, the uncleanliness, the things that cling to us. Where do you need to let Jesus come in and make it clean? And I'm grateful and appreciative I never had to do that. See, we shouldn't be lesser and have to work for things and have to have difficult knowledge and get knowledge. Come to our grateful another thought then. Are you willing to receive greedy people or the people who pretend to come into your life to help direct you or show you where you're falling short or help you come to another level? See, we're to do it for one another. Help one another become mature in Christ by talking honestly about the issue. So when someone comes to talk to you and says, look, something I really noticed, I'm going to talk to you about it, do you let Jesus come and cleanse your feet? Or do you like he say, no, 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 you don't want to be like that. Do you become defensive and hold away what can help you? Do you see Jesus coming to that person to help bring adjustment to your life? Or do you just see someone and you go, you got an attitude? And even if you've got an attitude, do you see Jesus in the moment? The second aspect is service. Where is your costly service to people? Where in your life are you serving people? Think about it. Now, there's many ways we can serve people, and all of us need to. First, we'll be intimate with God, but then we'll be where we engage in service to people. And you're looking for something in your service to get something from it, or is this just service that you give because you're glad of what Christ has done for you? Are you smoldering in resentment and withdrawn from serving because what you thought would happen didn't happen and you're harboring offense and now you're not doing what Jesus said to do? Do you let people serve you? Do you allow people, and let me speak of you, encourage you, help you, serve you? And when they do, are you appreciative? Because when you receive their service and appreciate it, you become bonded to them. Do we allow, see, the, the, the way God has designed the body is everyone has something to give. Does this not build up? It can be different for everyone. So rather than say, you've all got to do the same thing and do it like this, you need to have diversity in how people express costly, unexpected love for one another. So you need to see from others and show gratitude and appreciation. And each of us need to learn to give in whatever way, through attitude, in whatever pleasing and social environment we're in. Jesus said, as I have done this, I'm your Lord and your teacher. As I do this for you, do this for one another. You walk with me, I expect you to die for me. Anything less than that is even becoming ministry to you. Why don't we just close our eyes and thank the Lord. I am so deeply grateful at the love that God shows each sister in this room. We've had times worshipping him in these last three or four weeks. 
has to disturb a little bit and maybe they're good guys. I trust them to come to me. And I just began to weep. And weep. And weep. Because he loves us so deeply. We can come and kneel at our feet. Jesus represents the Father, so I can't hardly get my head around that God Almighty would come because He loves me and loves us and make the costly sacrifice of engaging where I fail and bringing amazing results. How amazing is that? Without human response. great in God. And for a moment we stand together. What I'd like to just is if there's an area of your life where you need to open it up for Jesus to wash you clean. You need to just open up to let him come and touch you. I'd like you to just stand and make your way to the front. You can kneel or lift your hands, whatever it is. We're not going to ask you what your issue is. We just want to be in agreement with you for God's presence to come and free you, whatever it is that's dirtied your feet, affected your life, you would come out of this meeting today with a change. Perhaps for others, today the challenge is to serve. Lord, I present myself today to serve you. Not just to be busy doing everything everyone wants, but to listen to you in worship and be focused on the things that you want me to do, but be open on the way to be spontaneous to serve. So for some, it's building an altar. Here I am, Lord. I ought to do this. You've set the example by doing this for me. Maybe others here today and you really struggle to receive this. It's never easy for us. So at the bottom is pride, shame, all kinds of things often an orientation to perform to make up for our lack. So we also need to learn to receive. Have people pray for you. Love on you. That's why we get into small groups as part of the community to share. So why don't we just stand together right now. Just in an atmosphere of worship as we close the service now. People that want Jesus to touch you in some part of your life say, I need cleansing in this part of my life. I, I really need Jesus to wash my feet. And we don't want to go in for anything natural like washing people's feet. This is spiritual engagement with God, receiving His costly love by acknowledging that area and inviting Him in. Those who need to build an altar and say, God, I, I want to present myself, become available to serve. Or I want to break out of the pattern of being ungrateful start to develop a, a lifestyle of gratitude to people who serve. As you came in the door today onto the property, there was someone out there serving you, smiling. I, I talked to one of them the other day, last Sunday. He said, you know, every week I pray for the people coming into this church and I pray for you. My wife and I love to serve in this church and we love being out here welcoming people coming in. I thought, oh, I felt like he ministered to me people on the sound desk, there's people as David pointed out have been working all week trying to improve the sound system, just, but there's so many people, hard to choose any one person some who pray and their life is spent deep in prayer others, they do out things out the back where no one sees them everyone has a place so would you just say Jesus, cleanse me touch my life or Jesus, today I open my life become available to serve. Why don't you come to an altar at the front right now? Let's do that right now as we just finish the final song. Let's do that now. Come, 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 come. The presence of God is here. So Jesus, you Jesus, we honor you. You know, I want to present myself again. I've gone through major operation, but for me, it means living on borrowed time. 
God has shown kindness to me. How can I repay his kindness but by serving him? Come, just come. Say, God, I want to serve you. Jesus, I'm overwhelmed with your love. I don't intend to retire. I will serve you while I have breath. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. This is fun to worship. Church, don't forget this lunch afterwards. If we have some people come, some leaders just to come, let's just come and lay hands on people. And uh, you know what your area of need is. Just believe as hands are laid for an impartation into your life. If it's something you need to cleanse, something you need to talk about, tell the person. It's just I'm presenting my life. That's between you and God. You ready? Let's have some leaders come. Come, make your way right up to the front. Come right through. Right through. That's the way. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for each one here that's responded to your word. May your power and your presence come upon them as they've come to give their lives to serving you. Father, let fire come upon them. Fresh fire. They're needing cleansing. Let your power come upon them. Thank you, Lord. You didn't want heaven without. So Jesus, I get some catches, please. my soul. 
Lord, we honor you today. We thank you for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for your great love, your costly love, unexpected costly love. Thank you for your presence constantly coming near to us to encourage and help us. Father, empower us to freshly serve. Empower us to freshly serve. Bring a fresh joy in our servant, a fresh fire in our servant. Father, let the church abound in the works of service and the love of God. Jesus, we give you all the honor. Don't forget lunch this morning. Lunch will be on at 12 o'clock, so just be ready out there front there. And uh, hold a while, we'll say grace at 12 o'clock.